0: Last week's sermon wasn't really a, a sermon. I didn't break down a, a piece of text and we, we looked at it and did this and that. No, last week we read about it and we said, look at this, you know, look at what we, Christ has done through this church over the past year, but look forward to what Christ is going to do through this church in the next year. And what I wanted to talk about today is a very serious um, pitfall that Christians fall into more often than not, I'm including myself in this. So I'm not just looking at you guys and going, don't you, don't you do it, because I have a tendency to as well. We're going to talk about grumbling and complaining. And I'm a really great at both of those. Even though I always got the. You wanna, I'll give you something to complain about sort of thing, you know. But I was really great at both. I can complain about anybody or anything. There's this, there's this, this game that's out there. It's not like a board game, but it's, it's um, I forget what, it, what it's called, but essentially, what? Oh, Don't Get Me Started. It's called Don't Get Me Started. And at any point, somebody could say, Wooden Pews. And I would have to start ranting about wooden pews and how horrible they are and why I don't like them. It can be about anything. You could say the night sky, whatever. But I'm really good at it. I'm a good ranter. I'm a good complainer. That's not a good thing at all. Let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about complaining. And specifically about complaining about others in the kingdom of heaven and about the reward that we all get. We're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. This is Jesus speaking, and he is teaching and giving one of his, uh, one of his many parables. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. It's up there. Let's read it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who, is, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is it your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. That very ending part, right? The very last verse, verse 16, is like one of the most quoted. Oh, the last will be first and the first shall be last. It's massively taken out of context. We'll get there and talk about what it actually is saying a little bit later. Let's start at the beginning. So number one on your notes there. Number one on your notes, the setup. The setup. So we find Christ and he's giving this parable and obviously people are a little confused. So he goes, okay, so the kingdom of heaven, it's like a landowner who goes out early to find laborers for his vineyard. This is not an uncommon thing. If you were a person who did not have a, a specific trade that you had a job in, you know, you weren't a carpenter, you weren't a, uh, that sort of thing, you, weren't a, you didn't have that one specific job, you would go into the marketplace early in the morning and wait, and people that owned land or something like that that needed labor to be done would come and pay you. They'd agree upon a thing, they'd pay you, and you come and work. So that's where we find this. This is, a, this is a common thing back then. The people whom he is talking to would greatly understand what he's talking about. It's kind of weird to us today. However, even just 30, 40 years ago, this was happening down in the South with illegal immigrants for, the, for not, uh, not plantations, but for farms and stuff like that. So it's really not that far away. From uh, our current time, the same thing happening. And he agrees upon a Daenerys, which is roughly one day's wages. It's a fair amount. You work for me for 12 hours, I give you one day's wages. Perfect, great. It's work. Let's go do it. That makes sense to us as humans, right? One day's work gives you one day's wages. That's fair. Great. Then he goes out, it says there in uh, in verse uh, uh, 3... The third hour. So three hours have passed. Maybe it's nine o'clock. Let's say they started at six. It's nine o'clock now, and he goes back to the marketplace because, you know, he goes, I could use some more workers in my vineyard. I'm going to more of these grapes that need to be picked. And there's some more people standing there. And he goes, great. I'll give you what is Right? I want to point out two things here in this first passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 7. The first thing I want to point out is that the landowner keeps going back. He does not wait for the workers to come to him. He does not wait around going, oh, I wonder who's going to pick the grapes in the vineyard. No, he goes to the marketplace multiple times. Read on the third, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh hour along with the first hour. So five times he goes back to to the marketplace. And I'm here to tell you, church, that Christ does not wait around. Christ goes to the marketplace. Christ goes to where you are. You see, because these people, they couldn't have gone to the vineyard and gone, give us work. That's not how it worked. They had to wait for people to come to them. They could not go on their own. The landowners have to come to them, and Christ is the ultimate landowner, and he comes to you. To where you are over and over and over again. The second thing I want to point out is that it does not say, now of course we know because we can read the whole, uh, the whole thing, but outside of the very first people, he doesn't say how much he's going to give them. He says, I will give you what is right. Notice he does not say, I will give you what is fair, because what is fair would be less than a denarius, because that is one day's wages, 12 hours of work is worth one denarius. So what is fair would be a fraction of that, depending on how long you had worked. But he says, I will give you what is right. You've got to trust me. These workers, both at the 3rd, the 6th, the ninth, and the 11th hour, have to trust that this landowner is going to give them something. And even if he gives them a fraction, at least then they still have something. This is their job. They have a choice to make. Do I want to stand here, or do I want to go work? They choose work. I'll spoil the ending. Christ does not give you what is fair. Christ gives you because he's generous. Because what is fair for us is death and hell. That's what's fair. That's the wages for our work. Romans tells us that. For the wages of sin is death. But he says, trust me, the reward is going to be good enough. Trust me. So that's our setup. Number two, the outcome. So we read that he works, everybody works, whether it be for one hour, 12 hours, or somewhere there in between. And the landowner says to his foreman, And we're verse 8 here. Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. I find it interesting he started with the last. Here's why, in my opinion. In the parable, it's got its own reasoning. But in the the reason that Christ gives it, it's because he's saying that everyone is equal. Does not matter when you came. Does not matter when you signed on. It can be at the first hour or the 11th. You are equal in his sight. And that's why we're going to jump down real quick. So the last shall be first and the first last. It doesn't mean that if you're like, well, I will toil behind everybody and not be in the spotlight. That when you get to heaven, Christ is going to be like, yeah, look at this guy. No, what it means is the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Meaning there is no place. There's no ranking system. The person that came in first is also last. And the person that came in last is also first. There's no ranking system in God's eyes because his gift, his gift is the same to everybody. His gift is himself. His gift is eternity in heaven with him. And it does not matter if you came when you were six years old, the first time you heard it in Sunday school, or when you're lying on your deathbed and you realize that what everybody has been telling you, your whole life is correct. It does not matter when you came. What matters is that you came. Now, in that case, you might be saying to me, well, pastor, shouldn't I wait then? Because I could live the life that I want to live and at the very last hour still get paid the same amount as everybody else. That sounds like a great deal, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You can say yes because I think it sounds like a great deal. I could live my life the way I want to, not have to worry about a darn thing. And then right before I die, I ask forgiveness from God, and it's going to happen? That's great. Here's the problem. He keeps coming back, but you don't know when the 11th hour is. You see, the fact of the matter is, any one of us could keel over and die right now. You had a heart problem. You, got a, you had an aneurysm. You had a blood vessel or vein clogged, artery, and your heart stops pumping. You could die on the way home. You could get hit in a snow squall. It's it's January Northeast PA. A snow squall can happen at any moment. You run off the road and you're dead. Some of us don't get the luxury of this long, slow life that then you lie in a hospital room for three weeks and and just slowly die or, or or your own home and you just slowly pass away and it's beautiful. A lot of people don't get that luxury. See, we don't know when the 11th hour is. And do you want to test it? Because see, I'd rather know that I'm safe. I'd rather come at the first hour and go, okay, I know I'm safe. I'm going to get paid. I'm going to get the reward. Then wait it out and try to wait till that 11th hour. Now here's the glorious thing about that. Christ will accept you up through that 11th hour. The cutoff date is either the rapture or your death. That's your cutoff date. We don't know when either of that's going to be. But that's why he says the landowner keeps coming back. The landowner in this analogy, in this this metaphor and such, is Christ, is God. And he keeps coming back saying, okay, come and work. Come and work. Notice he doesn't go back after the 11th hour though. That day is done. The day is finished. And if you came late, you didn't get a day's work. Same thing, if you wait to the end, and you miss it? You missed it. And there isn't another day to try again. No, the day is done. It's it, It's over. Now let's talk about the grumbling and complaining that happens in between verses eight and 16. So of course we see that he gives him the denares, and, and it's great denaris, and it's great. And then the first people see that, and they're like, "We're going to get more. They don't get more. They agreed upon a denaris and the landowner gives them what they agreed upon. Just because they worked longer doesn't mean they're going to get more. And they're mad about it. And he goes, why are you upset? I gave you what we agreed upon. Why are you mad that I'm generous and want to give them the same? You see, here's the thing that happens all too often in churches. I want to make sure I have the saying right. I believe it goes something along the lines of 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's not just true of churches, that is true of just about every organization. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so it would make sense then that that 20% of the people are going to want a greater reward or want to be seen and focused on more. And we look at people and we go, well, they didn't do anything. Why do they get congratulated with the rest of us? You know, we could say something along the lines of, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I could say, listen, I get up and I come over here on a Sunday morning and I make sure the heat's on and I make sure the doors are unlocked and I make sure there's coffee and hot, and hot water ready to go and I make sure the Sunday school room is set up and I make sure all the classrooms are unlocked. Why, doesn't anybody, why, why does somebody who just brings the cake get as much of a congratulation as I do? All they did was bring cake. Now it just so happened today I'm also the one that brought the cake. (laughs) But but you see what I'm getting at? I could say I did so much more work than them. Why do they get it? Why do they get this? Oh, man, these are so good. What about the coffee? Which, granted, might not be good. I don't know. I don't drink coffee, so I've never tried the coffee that I make. So if it's not good, somebody let me know and tell me how to better make it. But... You see what I'm getting at? It's so easy to grumble and complain. And we look at other people and we go, they're not doing as much as me. Why do they get the same reward? And Christ is going, because I love them too. Because I want them in heaven too. Why do you care? We agreed upon something. Why do you care what I agreed upon with them? It's not your problem. It's not yours to worry about. People like to complain. We like it. We like to look at other people and go, well, well you know, they do this. And 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 Shirley, Shirley, bites her nails right next to me in the office. Sorry. Get over it. Buy a pair of earplugs. I don't know. We like to complain. And we like to look at. And and, and, and and I told you at the beginning, I fall into this. There have been many times in my life when I have gone. I'm doing so much. Not here. I'm not saying here, guys. In the past. I've done so much. Why? Why? why is somebody else getting the reward? Why is somebody else getting the congratulations? Or maybe it wasn't me that did the work, but I know who did do the work. And I'm like, why aren't they getting it? What? What? What's going on, God? And God goes, I didn't make the deal with you. Don't worry about it. Why do you care? I'm the one that's in control, and if I want to bless, I'm going to bless. You see, the thing about the body of Christ is we're supposed to be lifting each other up. We're supposed to be rejoicing with each other's uh, uh, successes and and feeling for people in in sorrow for their failures as well. We're supposed to be with each other. If I did 99% of the work and somebody did 1% and they get recognition, you know what I should be doing? Yes. Good job. You keep going keep it up. Because here's the thing, there's going to be a day when I'm part of the 80% that doesn't do the work, but gets some recognition too. And there's going to be a day when I'm part of the 20%. And the same with you. I won't hide the fact that some of us here did more work last year than others. And I also won't hide the fact that it's very probable that some of those people will change this year. And so if there's five people, we take out three and add another three in. And they're different people. And then the next year, these two that have done it for two years, they're out and another two come in. It changes. And that's okay. But why do we worry about what other people are doing when Christ says, I asked you to do this. I didn't ask you to do what they're doing. I didn't ask you to try to gain what they're gaining. I asked you to step in faith in what I'm asking you to do. Don't worry about somebody else. Lastly, here before we... uh, uh, We're running a little late, so we might not do our closing song. Last thing, last thing. Very few things can tear apart a body of Christ like grumbling and complaining. I know a lot of you in this church. Well, I know all of you in this church. I know a lot of the people that used to be in this church. I know this church has gone through multiple church splits in its lifetime. It's been like... 150 years that this church has been around so it's bound to happen but I also know that and and nobody really wants to admit this we like to blame it on this or this that the root of the problem a lot of the time is people were grumbling and complaining so they left or people were grumbling and complaining and other people got tired of it and they left we're meant to be a body together a unit working together the Bible talks about if I, if I spite my arm, because it I, I, if I bang my hand off the, you know what? This is something I do all the time. I'm terrible at walking through doors. I bash half my body against a door sill thing, whatever it's called, door frame, more times than I can count. And if I get mad and ram my foot against it, what good did that do me? Now I can't walk. I've hurt my body because I got mad at myself. The same thing happens when we grumble and complain. Yes, something bad might happen. Somebody who's the pinky toe might accidentally hit the bed frame at night. Well, then how come we kick the bed frame with the other foot then? Yeah, it hurt. You know what? It'll stop hurting in a little bit. When we grumble and complain, we split up the body. I'm not saying there aren't things to be talked about and discussed. But what I'm saying is there's a difference between that and grumbling and complaining. We got a lot of New Year's resolutions this year. I challenged you with one already. I'll challenge you with one more. This is my my last thing, so uh, uh, Grandma and Kathy, if you want to come on up there, because we're not going to do a closing song today, because we're just a tad late. When you get the urge to grumble and complain, and I promise you it'll happen. It might happen later today. I can promise you that at about 4.30... I will want to grumble and complain. In case you don't know, that's when the Eagles play. I can promise you that something will happen during that three-hour time slot from 4.30 to 7.30 that will make me want to grumble and complain. But I want to challenge you, when you do feel that, and, and we're not talking about sports as much here, that's a funny thing, but in this church, in your families, in whatever, when you feel that urge, shove it down and say, no, I'm called to be higher than that. I'm called to be better than that because I'm called to be a Christian, which means little Christ. When did you ever hear Christ complain? I know of one time, and it was when they were selling crap in the, in the temple. It's the only real time I know of him complaining off the top of my head. And that was a righteous complaint, so there's that. There are some righteous complaints. One or two. Not a lot. So those are your challenges for the year. Put God first in your life. We talked about about that in communion. And you know what? If you're doing that one, you're going to do the second one. Because if you're putting Christ first, you're not going to be complaining. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, today again. Thank you that we can come together and, and hear from your word. Thank you that you put in there what we need to hear. Father, I apologize that I have a tendency to be a complainer. I ask your forgiveness for that. But I also ask, Father, that in my life and in the lives of the people gathered in this church today, not just in here, but in the children's church area as well, that you would be with us and help us and keep us from grumbling and complaining. We're going to want to, but I ask that your spirit would slowly work in us and change us from the inside out to be more like your son. Father, we praise you. Give us safe travels home. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.